How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Dead Jester Productions podcast, episode number 201. Thanks for being here. Special guest this week is public speaking coach Devin. Thank you for being here. Thank you for so much for having me. Um, I am excited to be here and talk about public speaking and specifically speech and debate in high school, but like how if you didn't do it, you can gain those skills now as an adult. Awesome. So before we dive in everything, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? What it is you actually do? What you have going on? Sure. So I actually didn't do speech and debate in high school. Um, it, it was around, but I went to a small school and there were so many activities that it, it just didn't come up and become something I was involved in, but I had a theater background. And so mm-hmm. I went to school for theater after high school and did the performing world and kind of fell into coaching speech and debate, which uh, interestingly enough, if you're not familiar with it, has an element in it that essentially is public um, speaking and competitive Mm -hmm. acting combined. Maybe we'll talk more about that later, but that's really how I got involved about 12 years ago. And I just never left because I fell in love with it. And I fell in love with helping young people find out that their voice matters, that they Mm -hmm. have opinions, that they can research them, that they can invest in them and that they can make impact on their community by, by speaking. Um, and so it's just been really wonderful. Um, and through that, I've worked at a high school out of Denver. Um, it's a public school in Denver for the last, yeah, about 12 years. And what's really exciting about it is over that time, I've watched a public high school become number one in the state. And I think we're currently sitting right now around number five in the nation. Um, So it's super cool to like watch kids that come from a school that wouldn't necessarily have thought that they could achieve that kind of ranking do so. So that's super awesome. And then I've also extended um, out into the adult community as I know how important this is for kids, but it really is important for adults too that didn't get access to these kind of skills during their educational programs for whatever reason. Maybe the school didn't have it. Maybe they were focused more on athletics because that was the culture of their school. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many reasons. And now they're sitting in whatever industry they're in and they're paralyzed. They, you know, anytime someone asks them to give a presentation, it's not going to be the best part of their day. And they're just trying to get over with. And then how effective that presentation is, is determined so much by um, how it goes. And so I just, I want to start to help people change that about themselves and know that they have value and that they can speak up and it's not going to destroy them. <laughs> it It is shocking. Like I feel like there's a sort of sense of naivety at times about how important being able to communicate in public is uh, just in general, as well as for, in a professional setting. Um, I You mentioned not taking speech and debate in school. I also didn't do it. I know we had it as an, uh, an option. Um, but it was, you mentioned the different like types of schools, like where the focus is, maybe athletics, uh, maybe more into the, uh, you know, arts theater. Yeah. And I think too, so much of that is dependent upon the fact that speech and debate is not, even though it is the most, maybe outside of theater, one of the most performative things you can do you don't invite people to it, right? Like it's not like a basketball game where you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. the state 
championships, everybody's going to go rally behind them. You know, when my school heads to nationals, you know, nobody's yeah. coming with us, right? You know, and and even the couple students we've had who have, you know, won a national championship, um, mm. you know, I was the one standing there with them, not their parents or not the school. And that's not to say we don't have support. Our community is incredibly supportive of us, but because it speech and debate doesn't have that audience driven, you know, culture. There's not as much show or flair to it maybe. Yeah. As the public was, version. Yeah. And which is really unfortunate because there are some teenagers out there and I can kind of point people in directions on YouTube where to hear these voices. Um, mm -hmm. They're doing amazing things, but it's it's not a basketball game. You're not going to pack out, you know, your There's local no scoreboard right in front of you. That's correct. Yeah. Or is familiar with. And the school is not going to raise income, right? You know, you mm -hmm. have a football game and you can use it as sort of a funding system to keep certain events going and speech and debate yeah. doesn't operate like that. So I think these are maybe reasons why a lot of times, unless the school itself becomes incredibly good at it and it becomes a culture, um, mm -hmm. they don't, it doesn't get as much interest or funding or even student like curiosity because nobody yeah. can watch it first. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if it, what your experience is like. I know when I was in high school, uh, we had, I can't remember what the specific class name was. It was one of our English curriculum classes where we had a small section of it where we did debates. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you had a similar experience or not. Um, I didn't necessarily okay. in high school or in English. I'm so sorry to say that, but we... Mm -hmm. I, I would say it was more in social studies where, you know, a teacher okay. thought it would be fun to maybe take a world issue and yeah, then debate yeah. about it. And I think that probably ranges from a great idea to somewhat problematic, depending on um, the teacher in terms of mm -hmm. like you, if you're going to do that, you need to pick an issue that has uh weight on both sides. You're not, you yeah. know, and I don't know that every teacher, I think sometimes they use it as a learning tool to learn about history when we've mm -hmm. already kind of clearly delineated uh, yeah. who's in the wrong and right on that particular mm -hmm. issue. And then to ask For kids sure, yeah. to, try to try to see it from the other angle. Well, there's value in that. I don't know that high schoolers are super well equipped, equipped in the moment to do that without uh, some pretty harmful rhetoric coming mm -hmm. out. So. Yeah, I think we went wrong in that we were yeah. allowed to pick the topics to debate. It was, mm -hmm. I think, if I remember correctly, I think it was four people per debate and it was two on each side. You were just either for or against the topic at hand. And, you know, you can imagine the topics high schoolers come exactly. up with for debate topics when it's not something they've elected to do, obviously, where it's, you know, they're oh, talking yeah. about the merits of, you know, the age of al you know how when you can purchase alcohol or right yes different drugs and it's like this is not really productive at and, a certain point <laughs> which is so funny because that that one is actually one that i would argue could be so productive in in mm -hmm. teaching kids like how important those decisions are if given the time to research right so if you yeah. have to and i think this is a great point so um, a misnomer about d the debate portion of speech and debate is that kids can basically stand up and they're just going to debate about whatever they want right mm -hmm. and that is that's a that's a falsehood so there are multiple forms of debate ranging from you know, partner debate to single person, like you're by yourself. And then each of those different forms are going to have slightly different structures in terms of how many times you get to speak, how much prep time you have. 
and um, what what kind of area the topics cover. And so um, in that, those topics are chosen by a national committee. Um, so in, okay. in most cases, most high school programs are aligning with the National Speech and Debate Association. And so mm-hmm. we're talking about like a panel of coaches from around the country, from diverse points of view, from um, a range of backgrounds, all basically debating these topics before the students even see them. And so then Mm -hmm. they're making sure that these topics, one, aren't phrased problematically because how you even phrase the topic can really shape the debate. And I think people sometimes forget Mm -hmm. that as adults, right? They think that the word, like we can, we can debate in, you know, even just a big one, like abortion. Well, that is too big of a word to have, to have a, a, a productive debate and or debating the concept of it. Right. Yeah. Like that's a word. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. what about abortion? In what way? What are, what about it? Are you debating? And a lot of people, I think they oversimplify it, right? Like they're literally Mm going to say the debate is abortion. Yes. No. And you're like, Mm -hmm. that is so limiting to the conversation. And I think that's a lot of our polarization issues, Mm -hmm. you know, come from this idea that there's no nuance. And so to to kind of re- return to it is, so these topic areas are thought through, the wording is thought through, and they have to be winnable on both sides. So no topic is going to be pitched that doesn't have thoughtful ideas on both sides. Now, is every topic perfect? No. But his most students, like, they're not, they have to win on both sides. You don't get to walk in and say, well, I would like to take this side in the debate. No, you go in and in some cases you're flipping a coin and you don't know if you're going to be af or neg. Um, in some cases it's rotating. You'll begin the, the, day, the first round of the day on the pro side and the next round you have to be con. So students are forced to actively engage in stepping in somebody else's shoes, so to speak, to mm-hmm. understand the deeper levels of why somebody might feel differently about a certain topic area, because mm-hmm. if they don't step into those shoes, if they don't analyze that, the, those impacts, those both emotional and data-driven, they can't win. And yeah. by adding that competitive element to it, it teaches that skill set of when we say like critical thinking or open-mindedness. Mm-hmm. I was going to say it focuses on the skill as opposed to the topic. Necessarily. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. like it kind of shows that like, to a degree, this this skill set, this research, this abil- ability to acknowledge that the other side has points, the mm-hmm. other side has um, some some good reasoning for why they may feel that way, that they're valid in ways, even if at the end of the day, you don't think they're valid enough to overcome mm-hmm. your personal feelings on it, that I think that dismissiveness in our culture that like everything about the other side's viewpoint is completely invalid is so damaging and it removes all humanity from your opponent. And I think that's mm-hmm. really potentially leading us down some dangerous paths. Yeah. Yeah. So that is what's happening inside schools that engage in speech and debate is these kids are forced to win on both sides of the argument if they want to win. And yeah. and therefore, they're going to engage hard and figure out why the other side feels that way. Nice. I, I feel like, and this is from my speaking from my own personal experience, I feel like the, the individuals who are 
interested in joining, you know, these programs are the ones that are going to be more inclined to focus on the skill set as opposed to just joining it just for the sake of joining a club. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't seem like a club that quote unquote, like a quote unquote throwaway elective like club. It's not something that I feel like people are just going to sign up for just to sign up for something. Absolutely. I mean, to be fair, it's way too much work. Um, So (laughs) we are fortunate enough. uh, We teach this. Our our school has rallied behind us and we, Mm -hmm. we, this is a class. This is an honors level elective. And so this is all we teach. We are one of a unique position in the country to do so. Um, Mm -hmm. And that gives us a lot of privilege. And I, and I realize that that is a a good part of why we have the program that we have. Um, Mm -hmm. So I strongly feel for programs that are relegated to, you know, one afternoon after school type of thing. And, and yet they're still highly successful because once kids see what this does for them, once kids buy into the community, they're hooked. And so, um, programs that do have that structure can still find success, but, but I do recognize our privilege by having it as a class, but you are right that like kids, it's not like, you know, I'm going to invest in this like kind of social issues club that meets every other week, maybe, and throw it on my college resume, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, yeah, uh, argue that it's making me more well-rounded in some sort of application. Mm -hmm. Um, These students are actually putting in the work. Uh, They are taking the time. Um, So like, I can give you an example right now of like what on the uh, the debate side, currently they're talking Mm -hmm. about. So in November and December, some kids in the Lincoln-Douglas debate, they're talking about um, or arguing on both sides of the United States ought to prohibit the extraction of fossil fuels from federal public lands and waters. So, you know, that's pretty relevant to what's going Mm -hmm. on in our society. And in Lincoln-Douglas, you're usually talking about things from a more philosophical standpoint. So that idea of the word ought is really key mm-hmm. because you're going to focus in things on like the betterment of, you know, justice, humanity, um, and like what what is that? What does ought mean? Like why, what, what responsibilities does our government have to certain things and to the people? Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be like one thing. And then like another group would be are arguing in the next two months, the United States federal government should forgive all federal student loan debt. Mm-hmm. So another big issue right now in the United States, and just so um, to clarify, it rotates every two months and every other month it goes from international to uh, the U.S. So right now we're on the U.S. Oh, okay. And so. Um, for those two debates, yeah, those are things that happen in the news. Like people right now ha- are having opinions about them. And so yeah, our students sure. right yeah. now are getting way more involved in why might somebody feel differently about this than me? Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's really beneficial. And then there's there's other forms too that it, we don't have to get into the weeds about, but like that, you know, they're, they're thinking about really deep things. Uh, and so, yeah, it takes work to be successful. Mm-hmm. it's not you mentioned like it's you know a class like there's a ton of prep work that goes into it and like like i said from my personal experience of not necessarily public speaking because that's not what i've done a lot of but situations where i'm having to communicate with people like like i said working in sales it is there is a lot of prep work on uh you know the macro side of things where it's like yeah I'm learning, you know, how to react when people will shoot down certain ideas or viewpoints and, Mm -hmm. 
you know, trying to present arguments that will, you know, benefit my side of the, you know, the sale tactic, but also it's a valid point. Like if I'm just sitting there throwing out, uh, you know, random points of information, it's not really useful. You know, I could sit here and be like, oh, it's this, you know, this, this person, you know, has this many followers on the social media platform and you can too. That's not, it's not helpful. It's not relevant. And it's the same. I, yes, you're totally right. They're data points without uh, contextualization and, mm-hmm. you know, sales. And I think this is where we kind of get into that, that meeting ground of like, okay, so what do you do? Right. You didn't mm-hmm. get, for whatever reason, you didn't get to d- debate all these topics throughout high school and, and gain these. Yeah that's, um, or you didn't do public speaking in high school and learn how to be, you know, a, a master, I don't want to say manipulator, but like communicator to get people to, to do what you want them to do because you're so commanding. Um, but, and then you didn't get in college. You know, I, I do think that when you go to college, a lot of times colleges admit that this is a skill set needed in the workforce. And so they, they check that box, right? You go to the intro to communications class or public. That's exactly what I took my first year. That's yeah. so common. Um, yeah. And you, you know, I was laughing because I had transferred after I had done, I did like a uh, conservatory work out of mm-hmm. well in acting. Right. And then mm-hmm. later on when I kind of wanted to expand past just like, you know, I have, I have a specific degree in performance, but I was like, well, what else do I want to do besides just act? And as I went back to school and was kind of examining those things, they made me take public speaking and I I cracked up. I was like, do you not understand that that is all I have done for the past like so many years? But I was like, I'll do it. And so um, I slept through the class, so I couldn't really speak to how everybody people because it was I didn't have to prepare. But but what I would have gained out of it was, it was it was too, it wasn't going to be a long enough and an engaging enough process to really solidify them the skills. It may okay. just like kind of like dip your toe in the water. But I mm-hmm. think more of it is a checkbox for universities to say, okay, well we gave you access to those skills. Now we can move on, and. Whether here nor there, you know what I mean? I don't know mm-hmm. whether that's bad or good. You don't want to make a bunch of kids take a bunch of classes that they don't find relevant. But I think mm-hmm. later on in life, they realize how much they wish they had engaged more. I think part of it for me was seeing the way the different approaches that people took to speaking in public. Not even, I mean, we did some things where it was just two on two, like one on one, where it's just have a conversation about mm-hmm. X topic. Sure. Right. And it's, it's interesting watching how they, their gear, you can see the gears turning on their head of like, oh, this is how the angle I'm going to take in order to start up the conversation and keep it flowing. Mm-hmm. Or this person is doing it this way. You know, the, the, there's various tactics that people are taking in order to just get a conversation going, whether it be actually having a, an interesting conversation or trying to come up with just filler speak mm-hmm. in order to hit the time limit oh, until we move on to something exactly. else. Yeah. I think that like so goes to the point of what's the goal, right? And mm-hmm. so often I think you clarified it right there so well. Like the person who was up there that was throwing in filler words, the goal for them was to get off stage as fast as possible, right? Mm-hmm. They were not 
they did not care about the experience of the other person. They were yeah. 100% focused on their own experience because of whatever was going on for them. In that case, probably a lot of insecurity, a lot of mm-hmm. fear that they were being judged, a lot of fear that they didn't have anything worthwhile to say, and a lot of just feeling super exposed. And mm-hmm. so for them, the goal was meet the like bare minimum requirements, which is to stand up here and probably like somewhat keep verbalizing till <laughs> till the teacher says you're done. And, and that is what you saw as an audience mm-hmm. member was a lot of self-focus, even though funny enough, that's exactly what they didn't want to have happen. Yeah. And then for people that were more can, concerned with what is the experience and viewpoint of my partner? What am mm-hmm. I trying to get from them? That's probably where you guys stopped focusing on them as much and started focusing on the actual conversation happening. Yeah. There was an interesting uh, thing we did. At, I forget what year it was where we would sit down and the whole goal was to just carry on a conversation as meaningfully as possible without breaking eye contact. Mm. Oh, and so exposing. It, it's it's interesting. Uh, I, I'm trying to figure out how to describe this properly. You become so like self-aware mm-hmm. while you're doing it because you, you're focusing on them, but you're just watching their eyes focusing on back on you. And yep. so you're, it's, you're like hyper aware of what they're focusing on. Uh, yes. And it's it's a very bizarre experience, uh, but can it, sometimes be very but, emotional too. I don't know if that mm-hmm. was the experience for people in that group at all, but a lot of times direct eye con- pro- prolonged yeah, people would get upset. Like they yes. would not. I, I guess nervous is one of the words. It's not. Uh, it's not what I was trying to think of though. Emotional, but it would just make them uncomfortable in general, mm-hmm. where they'd be like, "I can't do this. Like it's too weird." Yeah. And. Yeah. And we would just, we would do that for, I, I, I'm going to make this up. I can't remember two and a half, three minutes. And then That's it's like, all right, move on separate partners mm-hmm. and just keep rinse and repeat throughout the class. Yeah. And, I've uh, never done it in a class setting. I've only ever done that type of an exercise in like a team building. I mean, that's very mm. theater based, right? You know, like we always are like stand and look at each other and breathe at the same time. <laughs> you know, theater gets weird. Um, and, and so I've done it only in those contexts, but it's, it just kind of goes to show you how little eye contact you actually make in this world. And that when you start to make it, you realize like, oh my gosh, this person can actually see me. Mm-hmm. And, and when I can be seen, do I feel safe in that? Or does that feel too revealing? And I'm not a hundred percent sure. It's a weird skill to implement in the real world. Cause like I've had situations where I've been on like first dates before mm-hmm. and this kind of carries over to what we briefly touched on before we started recording, which is communicating in like a digital world where people are like glued to their phones yep. a lot of times. And I was on a date the one time and she was, I just have my phone in my pocket. I'm not interested in it. And I'm just looking her in the eye the whole time I'm talking to her to show, hey, I'm interested in this conversation. And it made her nervous. And she's like, why are you looking at me? I'm like, it's what uh, I do when I talk to people. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, that feels like a pretty yeah. good thing to do on a first date. I don't know. Yeah. And it, oh, I mean, it, 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 it's carried over in my, my career as well in sales, you know, to when I'm talking to clients and I'm just looking in, them in the eye while I'm explaining things and, you know, watch people like look away and, you know, they're getting distracted by like what's on the paper in front of them or, right. you know, whatever it is where they're looking at. And it's, it's become, I don't know. 
it's gotten to the point where I, while I'm talking to people, I'm doing that and I'm more interested in seeing how they react to it than sure, it's telling how they react to the actual information. I, well, and yes, I think that is so, you know, moving back to like the idea of like, so what do people do when they find themselves in sales or even in just yeah. any type of job where they have to present to, you know, probably more than one person. I mean, like mm-hmm. in sort of like a public speaking format. And I think mm-hmm. you hit it right there is what you've one got to be focused on the audience. Like it is so much more important that the audience get the information than what you, you know, what you feel about it. And so being able to read the audience and, and perceive how it's going and looking at their body language and their cues is so important. And that's a developed skill set that like, yeah, when you, when you start to look at these people as you're pitching them and they start to disengage or they start exactly. to lean in or they start to look at the paper more deeply when they when you hit a thing and how do you respond to that um, and adjust for it, maybe not even sometimes, uh, is is all part of the skill set. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like I said, we've we've had I've run the gamut of different scenarios, whether it's just a one on one in like the middle of a store with the business owner or, you know, all the way up to like larger boardrooms. Like we've had somewhere, it's just the two of us and, you know, eight to 10 people in the middle of this big fancy boardroom. And every single time it's, you know, paying attention to how engaged they are in what it is you're, you're talking to them about. Cause if they're sitting there and they're, you know, tapping their fingers or whatever, or they're, you know, tapping their pen on the table. It's like, okay, let's move this along clearly. Uh, you know, if they're, turned away from us a little bit as opposed to like facing us directly you know it's it there's so many different little body you know body cues you can pick up on that lets you know like how you need to adjust what it is you're speaking about and how you're saying it to exactly pull them back in and it doesn't always mean and i think that's the big thing is like it doesn't always mean that something's wrong with you or your presentation because like you know we all come into these interactions with a backstory, right? Like who knows what happened as we were even talking before we started today, like what happened two seconds before we jumped on the call type of thing. And you bring that into the space. And so there's also like a level of, as you get better at public speaking, also putting up a barrier from having that be a judgment reflection of yourself and more just information on what to do, because it doesn't really matter if somebody is disconnected because they're turned off by you, the content, or what had was going on in their head because maybe they have to like go to some big meeting after this or yada, yada mm-hmm. that, that they're trying to engage in. The point is the information you're giving them is probably not being as effective as possible. And how are you going to fix that? Exactly. Um, and so really removing yourself from the picture. And once again, not focusing on yourself when you're public speaking, but focusing on the audience is actually the best way to get the audience mm-hmm. to stop focusing on you. And that feels counterintuitive, but it's really true. Cause it's important. It, it doesn't matter how important the information is you're presenting. If you can't get them interested in it. Absolutely. If they're, if they're bored and not giving it the attention it needs or deserves, yeah. it, it literally it makes no difference then, it, you know, it's, it's worthless. We live in a we live in a commodified culture, right? Like everything 
we demand entertainment from everything. And whether you like that or not, and I think that's really so true in a lot of highly intellectual uh, situations. And, and as I've done some public speaking coaching with adults specifically, I've worked with engineers and such. And um, for them, the content is key, right? Like the information they're sharing is so important or so key, it is mind boggling to them that they cannot just say the mathematics or say the information and let that stand Mm -hmm. and not understand that the package it came in head to toe vocally slide wise, whatever impacted retention. And, and depending on the personality of the human that can go anywhere from like mind blowing, like, Oh, that had never occurred to them before to Mm -hmm. almost a little frustrated and indignant because because they want the world to be better, right? They're like, what I'm wearing or how I sound should not have any merit over the fact that this information matters. And mm-hmm. I don't disagree, right? In a perfect world, if this information is important, then yes, that shouldn't matter. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. everything's a sale and everything's an opportunity to entertain. And so if you don't get- in people pick up here, on that too. You know, if, if, you come, if I come in to try and- sell you on a product and I'm wearing jeans that are all dirty and torn up and yeah. you know, I'm, I'm look all disheveled. You're less likely to trust what it is I have to say because I, it's, it, you're a, some, I'm, I'm making a, yes, a bold assumption. Yes. Wild but like, you know, you might think like, Oh, this guy can't even get his own act mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. So why should I trust what he's saying? Yeah. And you know, on, at a basic level, it kind of makes sense. You know, you, you can you have to make both ways. You know, yeah. Manage yourself. Yeah. The unfortunate part is, just like we've been talking about everything, there's truth on both sides of that argument. There's Mm -hmm. implicit bias that comes into play and our assumption of what authority, um, credibility, and trust looks like. And of course, that's Mm -hmm. often very cultural too. Um, You know, what a woman might think those things look like versus what a man might think those things look like, socioeconomically, what those things look like, um, racially, what those things look like can be vary. But of course, first we have to personally acknowledge implicit bias, but most people are not when they're being brought information to be sold, to be pitched, to be inside their own workplace. I don't think a lot of people were asking people to, I think there are, you know, endeavors in across the country in business to start working on implicit bias. But the truth of the matter is every minute of every day, most people are not able to operate and do all the things they do and constantly check their implicit bias and ask Mm -hmm. whether that's happening. Um, And then on the other flip side, there is some reality to the, to the idea that if you can't present X, Y, and Z, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're ready to handle X, Y, and Z, depending on the structure. So like Mm -hmm. both things are true at the same time. And so as a public speaker and as debaters and, you know, what we talk about with our students is you don't know the background of the person that you're presenting to well enough to Mm -hmm. assume that they are always going to operate in their, in your best interest, right? Like. So why don't you control the variables that you can control so that your content can shine? Mm-hmm. And so that is a, a big portion of, I think, with adult public speaking is that there is so many variables you can control 
so that when something you can't control happens, the impact is far less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fine line to walk too. Cause I mean, yes. it, you, you can prepare all you want for scenarios and, uh, but you're never going to know exactly how they'll react to things. Uh, you mentioned like what, you know, their background is. There's been a lot of scenarios where, you know, I've been into it where I, I go into it where I don't want to talk down to people, right? Mm-hmm. You want to go into it, show them, you know, treat them with the respect they deserve, you know, as, you know, far as like their intelligence on the subject matter. Uh, but at the same time, you also don't want to just dumb it down so much where it's like, okay, well, I understand this. You're not telling me anything new. Right. Yeah. What do you have to offer now? Oh gosh, that you're, you're so right. Like that is such, and this is where practice comes in and Mm -hmm. research comes in and just skill comes in, in terms of like we said, adapting on the fly. Yeah. yeah, It's a lot of that, but you can usually only do that if you've practiced, if Mm -hmm. you know, okay, well, I'm reading the audience right now and they're, they're cruising right now. They're, they're getting this information. I could kick it up a notch Um, Mm. or they're glassy eyed. I'm going to need to, to revert to the other version of this. That's a little more simplistic um, Mm. depending on the content area or they seem bristly and and I need to figure out a way to make me more likable right now. I need to find a way to connect. And depending on the format, what strategy are you going to use to do that? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's all like hard to do. And so like I would just encourage adults that like these are things that can be practiced. And it's not just sitting there and saying the words over and over again, that they're like actively engaging in learning rhetoric and public speaking tips, tricks, and skills is, is it's not just as simple as like, I get up there and I talk and I don't throw up. Like there's so many like strategies to it. Yeah. It, it's more useful than just debate and, you know, sales or anything like that. I mean, there's a lot of situations in which, you know, in my past, it would have been useful to have been better at speaking to just strangers you know, mm-hmm. like interviews for jobs or oh, yeah. just scenarios in which I'm trying to get information, go into like a university and talking to people there where like I'm, I'm a high school kid touring a, a campus on my own. I'm it's I'm way out of my element. You right. know? And just having those skills to, you know, like I said, with interviews, it's super important to be able to get an interview and not be shy and like let them quote unquote walk all over you to an extent right. of asking all the questions it's you know i always tell people when i talk to them i mean it's gonna be different for everyone but like from my point of view it was always yeah research the company you're applying for mm-hmm. i think that's fairly obvious you want to know what you're talking about what you're getting into if you have no idea what you're applying for you know it's going to be hard to really answer questions effectively mm-hmm. in a way to in- implement your skill set into the position you're applying for but also you know it it shows you're interested in that position. If you're able to ask specific questions about the position and, or the, the business in general. Or uh, yeah, like pair yeah. your, your skills to their cultural language, right? Like even exactly. just reading yeah, yeah. the website is so key. You can see what, what are the buzzwords that they're using to describe themselves? Use mm-hmm. them to describe yourself. You know, there's so many research skills in that way. And, um, kind of on the flip side where you're talking about speech versus debate, 
in mm -hmm. when I'm coaching and talking, that's actually one of the biggest extendable skills that I talk with kids, especially because a lot of times people are like, okay, well, you coach competitive acting. Like people are not going to, some of them get real weird. I love them, but like they're going to stand on stage for 10 minutes and they're going to do a 10 minute version of um, like, for example, one of my students uh, placed second in the nation doing a 10 minute version of the Adam Sandler movie, Little Nikki. Um, <laughs> It's hilarious. It's delightful. But like, what's the extendable skill set off that if you're not going on um, SNL, right? Like, mm -hmm. what, are, what are you doing with that? But it's not so much, although I could talk ad nauseum about it, the biggest extendable skill set that I will offer is, or these two things. One is being able to present in a room or interview or whatever, mm -hmm. know you're being critiqued and judged and still be able to execute yeah. because there are certain like, you know, cause like to always say, Oh, they're not judging you. They're not critiquing you. Well, yes. In, in a lot of cases that is true, but there are yeah. clear cases as you brought up an interview for college an interview for a it's job. Specifically what you're there to do is be judged. Yes. <laughs> and like I, that's the agreed upon, like you're yeah. there to win something, the, right? Yeah. Like you're going to try to beat out these other candidates and win mm -hmm. and that competitive element of speech where you're sitting in the room and you're basically interviewing for the job of, you know, the first place in that room and you get to watch the other six candidates present, right? And there's a panel in front of you, just like a job interview, and they're writing while you perform. And some of them give you smiles and stuff, and some of them stone face you, and you have no idea what they're thinking, and you're trying not to let it get in your head, and you still have to execute flawlessly, that skill set done every weekend, multiple times a day over the course of four years makes them bulletproof. Yeah. And so putting yourself in those situations as adults are hard to find. But yeah. I would argue taking those risks and putting yourself into quasi versions of it, whether it be at Toastmasters or trying like, you know, different activities out in the community where that they're volunteer and they need somebody to come in and talk to a school or whatever about your mm -hmm. area of expertise, because nobody's going to judge you more than high schoolers, um, is just <laughs> a great way to start to develop those skill set of, mm -hmm. I know you're writing things about me right now. I don't know if they're good or bad, but I'm going to still I'm going to still show you what I got. Mm. And then the other, yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, go oh, ahead. No, 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 okay. We can talk about that for a second. I was going to say the other transferable skill set. So let's talk about that first. Yeah. No, I was going to say like the ability, the improvisation, like mm -hmm. being able to do that as a skill, not necessarily, uh, you know, having like, I'll use like improvisational comedy, for example. Sure. That's yeah. One I'm more familiar with where, it's not necessarily about having to come up with an idea completely on the fly. It's having all these puzzle pieces and being able to put them together yes. on the fly. And so like you'll watch uh, what is uh, whose line is it anyway? This is mm -hmm. probably the most famous improvisational comedy show. You know, yeah. a lot of their jokes are not thought up on the spot necessarily. I mean, I'm sure a lot of them are, but a good portion of them are not. They're just bits that they've tried elsewhere. Didn't work. They think on you know as they're performing, then oh, this would actually fit well here, and it's just a matter of fitting all of these bits together, you know. Yeah, you know, and as you're going along, yeah, and can transfer over into you know speech uh, interviews. It just anything. Exactly. I mean, we use that in sales all the time. 
Yes. You know, and I have an improv background. Um, mm-hmm. and so like, you know, we could go in a huge tangent off into how improv training is, I mean, honestly, like one of the best ways to jo- jump in this skill set. So like, if you are an adult and you're like, I, I hear what you're saying about that, like getting in front of something, waiting to be judged or whatever, look up mm-hmm. your local improv school in your, in your city, in your town or the town next to you and, and go sign up for an intro class because that is a way to start to flex that skill of, I know I'm up here and you're like actually thinking about me right now. How do I get over that? And how do I lose the, I mean, once you start doing improv comedy, your normal self feels very vanilla, right? Like you're like, why would they judge this? Like, the character mm-hmm. I played last night was far more ridiculous. So um, yes, improv is a wonderful training ground for gaining these skill sets. That is um, something I constantly yeah. do as well. I think it drives my girlfriend nuts. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Just partially just because I, you know, the podcast here, but that's just, I have so much energy all the time as it is. So it's just a matter of like, we'll be doing whatever. I'll be cooking dinner and I will just be doing bits while I'm <laughs> cooking dinner and She'll she'll have lost the plot. There is no plot really, to be fair. But it, she's not playing back, so she's not. She's not exactly. yet. Is what so you're saying. She has Maybe no that. idea what I'm talking about. Sure. And it just it's a matter of yes anding it, where it's just yeah. continuously building and building and building to nothing. And then yeah, well, you need a partner. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. But but I I I thoroughly enjoy doing things like that. I do it at work, and it's the same sort of outcome, especially if it's people who are on a very different level of energy than I am. Yes. I'm very much high energy. I'm relatively loud and they're, especially in the office when I'm in there, they're very quiet and just laid back. And I come bursting in through the door with some joke I've thought up. And then I just keep going until they yell at me to stop. (laughs) You know, know, at the same time, you're like, well, I got my practice in and I'm done. <laughs> I'm like, perfect. This has gone really well. I'm glad we had this talk. And yep. then they're like, this has been unforgivable. Please you're don't like, do it again. This was not a talk. That was a monologue. Thank you much. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Can we get back to work, please? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's a that's improv comedy and that type of thing is a great is a great way. But I, I will mm-hmm. admit, it's, a re- it's revealing. It's intimate. And if you're not naturally someone who like likes to get up and be goofy. Like, you know, I think a lot of people are really scared of being seen as silly or goofy or not perfect or um, not pretty. I think that's a big one. You know, in our society, you know, we commodified beauty so much to be you know, the attainable or I not unattainable. Like that, a prerequisite in order to be in front of people a exactly. lot of the times. Yeah. That if you were not put together in front of people, like that is very mm-hmm. scary. And so improv like really gets nitty and gritty and ugly and whatever. And that's very revealing, but wow, is it good for breaking through some of those phobias and, mm-hmm. and insecurities. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I think it's a great idea too. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think speak the public speaking side really gets to that is really key for adults to start to learn to do is, um, taking and implementing, or I guess taking, assessing and implementing criticism. So, or critique. So what happens at a tournament is kids are going to go in both speech and debate. They're going to deliver multiple rounds a day, depending on, you know, how well they've done. Maybe they make it to finals and each tournament has a determined amount of rounds based on how long the tournament is. Um, So 
on a normal Saturday, you're looking at like four to five rounds, but sometimes tournaments are multiple days long. And so like the national mm -hmm. tournament, you have to make it through 13 rounds um, okay. all together over the course How of- How long is a round? Um, roughly about an hour. Okay. On a given day, most people like, let's just talk nationals. They, you know, it's a week long mm -hmm. tournament and every day is about four rounds. Okay. And, and then you're advancing on. Um, and then the rooms are getting bigger and bigger as more people are knocked out of the tournament and then watching you. And so your audience is nice. getting bigger. Your judge panel is getting bigger and so to speak. But every weekend you're coming home from those tournaments with what we call is ballots. And those ballots mm -hmm. are judge feedback that tell okay. you what they saw in round and theoretically should explain the rank that they gave you. Now, mm -hmm. those ballots, there's they're all subjective, so to speak. Yes, mm -hmm. if you have been judging for a long time, you may have like more idea of why you're picking those things. But a lot of people are volunteer judges, which is a great mm -hmm. way to get involved with your community, by the way. Find a local play school and, and volunteer as a judge. But they... So whether they're good at giving that feedback, whether they understand how to get that mm -hmm. feedback, whether they've ever given children feedback before, yeah. <laughs> they phrase it, all of these things you don't know, which is problematic in some ways, but it's also great in some ways because it's- I think it's good to get a variety of different types of feedback. Yes, it is. You, Just sometimes- You can get, get it from different points of view. From different, If you're getting feedback from people who's who court, so supposedly made a career out of you know judging speech and debate- they might fall into, uh, you know, like a rut sort of, a, mm -hmm. this is how I always judge it. Whereas yes. if you're getting various people and it's, you know, a unique view you wouldn't have normally received perhaps, and it helps you take that into account when you're presenting, oh, some people might, you know, it might be easier to understand and digest the information if I present it this way. Absolutely. And also mm -hmm. too, if your panel is of the same, depending on what what area you're looking at, mindset is you, background, um, socioeconomic class, racial makeup, sexual gender orientation is you, whatever. Mm -hmm. You may be missing areas of your speech that could be better, more inclusive, less offensive. You know, like there's so much to it that if you don't have other people giving you feedback, and you see this in, I'm sure, media all the time, in sales, we see it splashing across headlines all the time. And you ask yourself, that's a major corporation. How in the world did they make that mistake? Yeah. Who signed off on that advertisement or who signed off on that blah, blah, blah. And it got yeah. to the public. And that I think speaks a lot to, they don't have a diverse enough process, checks and balances. They've narrowed it down. So they're targeting their presentation towards the specific uh, viewpoint, you know, mm -hmm. viewpoints of this where like, this is what they know they're being judged on. So they're going to tailor it specifically to those viewpoints and the characteristics and yet, that are being sought after. Yeah. And the viewpoint lacks the ability to see certain things. Be, and that's mm -hmm. not necessarily inherently bad. It's just that it's something you have to understand that like, I couldn't have seen that because of my life experience. And so yeah. That, that, that also speaks to why the diversity of a judge panel is so key. So I go back to it. it. You know, come out and join us. Be a community member. Help start shaping the next generation. But the point is, as adults, how often do we get feedback from our bosses, our peers, mm -hmm. you know, wherever? And A, can we handle that? Like how many mm -hmm. people like feel super nervous going into their 
review, yearly review or whatever. Um, And one, receive that positive and critical feedback. Mm -hmm. Two, depending on who it's coming from, assess what is important, what is accurate, because I think that's the other thing is there's a there's two ends of the spectrum really right like in terms of like how this can go if you're too far to one side you reject all critique you put up a big wall you say you don't know what you're doing you're all idiots because you're just scared of ending introspection but on the very other end of the it, the spectrum which is just as bad is everybody's right but you you have no value you have no backbone and anybody who says something to you they know better than you about certain concepts. And that's just as dangerous, I believe. Like you need Mm -hmm. to find that perfect balance in the middle of, yes, I agree with that. And I will continue to work on that. And I'm going to improve that. But you know what? I don't disagree with you about X, Y, and Z. And here's why I made those choices. And I'd like to continue to do that. And finding Mm -hmm. that balance of knowing how to assess critique for its value is key. Mm -hmm. And then after that, time to implement because I think a lot of times you sit in those meetings, depending on, you know, I think as artists, if you, if you're in an artistic job, you may have to learn to do this quicker, right? You know, you're mm-hmm. digital graphic designer, you are in um, copywriting, whatever, you know, you're working yeah. with a client, they give, you give them the thing, they give you the feedback, you execute by a deadline. Let's say everything's working perfectly. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a little bit more abstract career that doesn't have that feedback deadline cycle, Mm -hmm. you may only be getting real feedback once or twice a year. And then it's kind of like, when do you implement? How do you implement? Is it important? And so that's a skill set that we work on is like, how fast can you make these changes if you've agreed that they're valuable? Yeah. Like, how long is it going to take you to make these changes? How long Mm -hmm. are you going to keep running the same speech that you know has these flaws Or are you going to dedicate yourself and prioritize it in order to be more successful? And that really is kind of student dependent. And that's a maturity growth for them on, yeah, that's going to take time to fix that X, Y, and Z. Do I care enough about my success to do that? Or am I going to just kind of ride on autopilot because that's going to require effort? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the things that we've run into a lot. Like I, I do a ton of work with content creators online and it, it's one, I'll use YouTube as the primary example. Yeah. It's one of the best ways to get feedback is from comments mm-hmm. and people reaching out either directly through comments or on various social media, like connected social media uh, apps. And I try and get across people. I'm like, listen to what people are saying, but don't let that be the end all be all for right. like how you run it. And I mean, you can't cater. You're not, you're never going to be able to make everyone happy with your content. Nope. No, right? you aren't. So and- I mean, take, take the feedback at, you know, as you can, but you can't, a lot of times people will leave a comment and say, Oh, you know, this isn't good. Like this person is better. You know, like you're trying to copy this guy and they will adjust their content to be more like, you know, a more popular content creator. And all you're doing is losing your own voice in the process in order to try and cater to a few complaints that maybe weren't helpful. Well, yeah. And that's kind of what we talk about with students too, is like, any shift, like when somebody says something like a comment like that, that's, that's, I think YouTube comments are such a great place. One, 
Nobody really thinks through how they write a YouTube comment. They're at, it's three in the morning. They found out a rabbit hole. They found your content. And then they like aggressively wrote a mean comment, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sorry, that's not who you should be taking your deep introspection from. But Mm -hmm. let's say they have some value and you want to do it. Any shift you make like that could potentially lose different people who are who weren't saying nasty things about you exactly. or might liked you. So there is a world in which you have to like, like I said, assess and make decisions based on your core values. And that's harder mm-hmm. in the workplace, I know, but like it's important to have that that grounding philosophy so you know what good critique is and you know what is not helpful. Yeah. That's I also one of the ways I always end it, because like especially with YouTube again, I will put together a list I'll do you know, uh, a feedback list essentially for them where it's, I break down, I just call it a, a channel breakdown and I'll go through and I'll say like, these are your thumbnails, you know, all the different aspects of it, the, the length of the video, the, you know, keywords and everything like that, all the connected information and I'll break it all down and pr- just provide that whole sheet to them. And I'll say, what are your thoughts on this? Like, this, this is my feedback. What are your thoughts? Do you have any feedback on my feedback? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that sort of gives them an out of, yeah, my, my feedback is not definitive necessarily. Right. And it, I think it helps them realize, okay, he's not just crapping all over my, the things I put all my work and you know, my dedication into. Um, but at the same time, like I am providing feedback because I want to yeah. help. I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat everything no. because at that point it's, it's not helpful. It's not helping them grow in any way. And that's so, so important. I think like, Obviously, your clients have come to work with you intentionally, and mm-hmm. and so hopefully they trust you, and that that's who you should be getting your critique from. And of course, not everybody gets to choose their boss, right? Never, or at least their mm-hmm. supervisor. And so sometimes you're going to get critique from somebody that maybe you don't respect, and you're that's where having that core value of like, <laughs> what do I do with that? Because that's true for I think a vast mm-hmm. amount of people, vast amount of Americans is I don't respect my supervisor. So I don't care what they say in my review, but maybe, maybe reframing it to, okay, but what are my goals in this job? I don't want to be under that person anymore. And the only way I'm going to get out from under that person is to do better in this position or to get hired in a different position. And you're going to do better if you have that person on your side, maybe that's one Mm -hmm. argument I would say. But the other part is more to what you're doing right now is find somebody you trust to, to get critique from so that you know when they're giving you feedback that it comes with your best interest at heart. So that, you know what I mean? You said like, I'm not crapping all over it. All you want for your clients is the best YouTube channel ever or whatever, right? Like you're there yeah. to help them be part their Part of it best. is basic decency. And I'll, part of it is if I don't do my job properly, why would they bring me back? Like it, it doesn't make sense from a business perspective to do a poor job. 100%. And I think that's true in so many cases, but we are so mm. wired to be scared of someone telling us it could be better. Mm-hmm. Because then we think that means that none of it was good. And that's yeah. almost never the case. Mm-hmm. But it's just really hard to keep that mental mental health up while asking for direct feedback. I, I know you, met, you mentioned like a lot of people don't respect their boss or superior. <laughs> I think we've talked about on this, this this show before about from, I mean, just in my personal experience uh, when I was in high school working, you know, what you would call crappy jobs, like intro jobs, yeah. where it is, 
you know, I, there's a lot of positions like managerial supervisor positions where it seems to be more tenure based than accomplishment based, especially in like retail. It is, Oh, this is, this person's been here the longest. They're the manager because everyone else just starting out or whatever. Well, because you know, everybody work at, else like, moved on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you have scenarios like that. And then you have one like, like my specific scenario in which I was hired for a role that did not exist. Like I, I know I, I do all my work with digestive productions and then I have an, a, quote unquote, real job outside of this as well, where I work as a marketing coordinator. And I was hired for a position that did not exist before my arrival. And so nobody, you know, none of my you know people above me, it's just the owners, uh, they do not do marketing. Right. So I am, I go in, I went into it knowing I was more qualified for the job than they were. Mm-hmm. Right. And yep. so it's a weird dynamic because I have to go into it where they're asking me questions, trying to gauge you know, whether or not I'm qualified or, you know, or if I'll be a good fit, but I know more than well enough that, you know, they don't have the answers that I'm going to have. So if I can, I can provide them with information that they won't understand, uh, in a sense of, you know, this is how I think, you know, we should handle this. They don't know any better. So it's a matter of, uh, explaining things in a way that makes sense, backs up what I'm saying, providing the data points in a way that they also understand and makes it seem as though it's it's accurate and productive and efficient. And it's a yeah. weird situation think, to be in. And I think if more employers were willing to, because like that's going to happen in jobs across the country because of the fact that we're trained and and go into education for a certain skill set most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so most businesses are a collection of skill sets. And then somebody just ends up in a managerial position. But a lot yeah. of times the people underneath them do know more about the work they're doing than the mm-hmm. person whose skill set is internal organization. And so yes. I think two things to be true. Like one, good hiring managers should be hiring people who know more about the subject mm-hmm. than them. And then two, they should be willing to admit that and yeah. and then work with the person with a respect of, I know you know more about this. So my job is to support you doing your best work, not like just hold authority over you. But you know, that's just good management. And some people are getting on both sides of that not. coin, unfortunately, where it's yeah. been, you know, management in this, like you were saying, the sense of like, you know more about this than I do. I just want to manage things and make sure it gets done, you know, in the way we need it to in the right time frame on the right, right. budget. And then but there's the other side of it where it's, I don't think that'll work. And, you know, I have to explain, I, I'm pretty sure it'll work yep. and it still gets shot down and it can be very frustrating, but it's just a matter of continuing to communicate as effectively as possible and trying to drive things forward. Right. And that, and that's so true too, with our students, like Sometimes you communicated awesomely and you did by all standards or metrics win that debate, but they didn't choose you for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. They decided you didn't win that debate or they decided you weren't the most compelling speaker in that round and you didn't do anything inherently wrong. You didn't drop an argument. You didn't, you know, you know, execute poorly, flub yourself up in a speech, whatever, depending on the event that they were in. And sometimes people just choose differently based on a variety of factors. And how are you going to handle that? And how are you going to let that affect the next round, the next tournament, the next day of your life? Mm-hmm. So it, it, like I said, I'm, I'm sure it's come across the entire time we've been talking where it's like, I'm very much a firm believer in 
being able to adapt on the fly and the improvisational side yeah. of things. Because in the real world, it doesn't matter. How, like there are so many scenarios in which it does not matter how prepared you are. Mm-mm. When you get into the scenario, something is inevitably going to come up that is not according to plan and you have to be able to react to it or it can really throw a wrench in things. And then other times things will come up and it's, it's just not that big of a deal. You know, no, you might not. not have the answer to it, but it's like, okay, you, you know, I didn't expect this. I don't have the answer to it, but I can get the information. But how you respond in those situations is also very telling, especially in a job exactly. interview yeah. or a work situation. I would not, you know, maybe some people are, you know, a little uh, sadistic and put those situations mm-hmm. into play, but I'm just guessing most times they just know it's going to happen. And how mm-hmm. you respond to them is very telling of how you'll be as an employee. Are you cool under yeah. pressure? Are you able to say, you know what? I don't have that information at my hands, but I'll get back to you at this date with it and and mm-hmm. seem unflustered, but seem dependable because that's all super important to seeming like a good communicator is your ability to say, I don't know, or say, oh, that was not what I thought was going to happen with that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. What I'm trying to say, like visual aid, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I'm not going to let it throw me. And if you were to hire me, if you were to work with me, if you were to engage with me further, you could trust that level of confidence in going in the future. And it's not yeah. about being perfect. It's about how do you respond when things won't be perfect because they never are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I run into that a lot in my personal life because I did not go to school for what I do. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I went to school for computer science, which is the furthest thing from what I do now. <laughs> right. And, you know, it. so I approach things a lot of times where I'm not using the same phrases that professionally taught people would be using. I have the same, you know, skill set, so to speak, in the general sense of it. I have the same overall information to provide, but I'm just presenting it in a different way than, you know, other people would that went to school for it or took, you know, just took classes in general or, you know, what have you. And so like, that's something I've had to overcome in certain instances where I walk into a situation and they, you know, especially when I was working in advertising sales, they, you know, if there's a big company, every ad agency in the area is going to go after them to try and sell them advertising. Oh, definitely. And so they're going to be bombarded with, I mean, especially in our area, there's six or seven major ad agencies that we were competing against. And so I go in there and again, being self-taught, I'm using different phrases than all these other ad agencies would be using. And so they'll bring up a specific phrase and I'll say, oh, you know, actually that's what I was talking about, but I explain it in a different way than than they might have. So at the end of the day, we're offering the same style of product. I'm just coming at it from a different perspective. And it's a a hurdle I've have I've had to deal with not being professionally educated on on some of the matters. But again, it's how you communicate it rather than the specific words you're using, I suppose. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's true in so many instances because, you know, kind of going back to what we talked about previously, so often you don't know your audience and you can't, mm-hmm. you can't please everybody. You can't prepare for every audience. So mm-hmm. you have to be okay with, I'm, I'm accepting what I don't know, or, you know, and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to be prepared for what I do know and, and go for it. Cause being scared doesn't really get you anywhere. Taking a risk mm-hmm. might it's interesting. I'm curious. We've, we, this is not something I've done in any class or school or anything like that, which is have a debate about something that I've been given no time to prepare for. I don't know if that's yeah. something you, you guys have done. 
Um, depends. Well, so it kind of depends on what we will maybe do that as a you skill set. For, conversation. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Well, we do a couple. Those are more for speaking um, drills mm -hmm. and for like responding on the fly to arguments you hadn't heard before. So we okay. don't. Well, we won't usually bring up a hot topic for that because that mm -hmm. will run the risk of kids saying something in an attempt to win the debate because, you know, they've got competitive pressure on them that they yeah. would have never wanted to say or really thought through or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but we will use those skills in terms of one, we might put them in a situation on a topic that they are debating and then throw them curveball arguments that might come from a team both that is trying to screw with you and like mess you mm -hmm. up and see how that goes or a team that is absolutely unprepared that happens you know they come from a, a team that maybe doesn't have adequate coaching or or the coach is overextended or whatever and right. or the coach doesn't know because kids do wild things and around that, that the coach did not rubber stamp that happens too and they may throw crap crazy things and you still have to answer it in round so that might be one thing we do or the other thing that we'll do is is take more fun um, topics that are very, you know, so silly, you know, we've done like what's better East coast versus West coast. And like in the moment they have to build a case on the fly and work through like actual competitive structured skills and, and go mm -hmm. for it. So that keeps it very fun and engaging yeah. without running through and they can learn those skills without running the risk of putting them in the position to, to say something that maybe they wouldn't have said otherwise. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So before we wrap here, what would you say is the best way for, uh, I guess both students and, and adults, like what would, what would you say is the best way for them to get started? Uh, like an introductory way to get involved in public speaking debate, anything like that? Sure. Yeah. I think for, for students, I think, check out, obviously, like, you know, if you are in the high school and or college level, um, engage with your campus, see if they have a public speaking, like a speech and debate program, period, both college mm -hmm. and high school have it. Um, most high schools, you have to have no skill set to join. College depends on how good your team is, you might have to audition. But then mm -hmm. if not, want, then go ahead and see if you just have like a casual, like, public speaking club that maybe doesn't compete, but then if not start one, you know, these are, these are accessible things that you could just literally bring kids in. But remember always that if you're going to do one, you got to research both sides or you are going to just stand there and pe perpetuate the, um, you know, the echo chamber that already exists. Yeah. Then for adults, I think one, the biggest thing is to start maybe engaging personally in the decision that there are better ways to get up and speak. And there's so many resources online, just free resources that talk about just basic public speaking skills. So if you don't have a lot of personal time, if you're like, oh, I'd love to go do all those things, but like, who's got the time? Um, mm -hmm. There are free courses all over the internet that YouTube videos and things that will just kind of talk through some basic ideas of what makes a speaker engaging, what makes mm -hmm. visual aids, like if you need to make slide decks, what makes slide decks uh, more confusing, less confusing, how do you make data-driven information consumable to someone who doesn't know what you're talking about, that's so mm -hmm. key. And so mm -hmm. 
you can do it on the internet. But then if you want to get up and get going, I think looking up things like Toastmasters, improv classes, and stuff like TED, like go get involved in like TEDx and TED conversations. And there are community oriented things like that all over that if you just stand up and take the risk and and go for it, the community is going to surround you. The community is going to step up and go, oh my gosh, welcome. We're so excited you're here. Let's get started. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, th- awesome. thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. This is a fun time chatting. Oh, yeah. I it's, love talking about this. And I, I want to help people feel more confident getting up and sharing their voice because it matters. And we need yeah. more voices to make this world better. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out as well. Like like I said, it, I thought this was going to be a great episode because it's something that's super relatable to my audience. We have a, a number of younger listeners awesome. and then just people who are in the public space, public discourse online, you know, just trying to get their voices out you know, the discussion we had on just, you know, being able to receive feedback and assess it properly and the back and forth of it is super useful as well. Yeah. It's just so key because like our country, our world is so polarized and divided and like Mm -hmm. these skill sets, no matter like what you believe in your viewpoint, like it's not for one side. It's for all people who are trying to better their message. You, you've got to do these things or you're, you're going to be dead in your tracks mm-hmm. so awesome yeah thank, thank you so much i, I really thank appreciate you for it so much for having me i look forward to time. hearing it and would yeah. be happy to talk anytime again awesome awesome well thank you everyone for listening as well uh go check out deadjustproductions.live it's got links to all of our stuff on there and uh it's got you know some of the things we talked about we've got a uh, sort of general overviews for like quick start guides and things like that for social media uh platforms youtube tiktok instagram things like that and some of that is what i included uh is what we talked about today about feedback and just the general overviews of how to interact with people and you know get the feedback in and you know focus on all of that and getting your ideas across in a meaningful way so check it out and thank you guys for listening see you next time